Welcome to Mystic Soul Unveiled, where we go on a transformative journey to unveil the sacred depths of your being. I'm your host, Kathy Arbeiter, and I'm thrilled to guide you through a path of self-discovery, healing, and spiritual empowerment. We'll uncover the veils that shroud your true essence, peeling away layers of conditioning, entrenched beliefs, and the residue of past traumas. We'll tap into the wisdom of spiritual guides, harness the healing energies of sound, and unlock the keys to overcoming life's struggles. Through candid conversations, insightful teachings, and empowering techniques, you'll discover pathways to transcend limitation, heal wounds, and live a life aligned with your highest pleasure and purpose. Welcome to Mystic Soul Unveiled. My name is Kathy, and today I have my partner, Steve Borchetti, with us. And we're going to talk about a couple different healing modalities, specifically breath work, Reiki, and energy work. I think over the next couple episodes, I'm going to talk about some different healing modalities and just different ways that you can help with trauma and releasing anxiety and depression and things like that. Today, I have Steve. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Let's just get into it. Tell me a little bit about what breathwork is. Sure. So breathwork is a modality that utilizes the breath, obviously, in order to help regulate your nervous system. The style of breathwork that I am certified in is called somatic breathwork, and somatic relates to the soma or the body. So it's helping your breath to free up trapped emotions, trapped stress, override the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response of the body. Because if we don't express our emotions, they end up suppressing. When we suppress, we end up oppressed, repressed, depressed, all of those things. But the emotions themselves get stored in the body. So you're using the breath to override your nervous system, basically, taking yourself into a sympathetic state. And then once you bring it back down into a parasympathetic state, it brings you into a state of relaxation. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about how that works? What is involved in a breathwork class? Sure. So there, there are, again, many different modalities. As far as what I construct, everyone comes in and we do a little bit of a grounding meditation in the beginning just to settle you in, have you uh, forget the outside world and just settle into the space. And then from there, I uh, have everyone lay down and we begin a series of, of, uh, of rounds. Um, some of the rounds are a little bit more intense. Some of the rounds are a little bit more gentle, but you're uh, essentially breathing in your mouth, out through your mouth and trying to match the rhythm of your breathing with the rhythm of the music that's playing for about seven to 10 minutes per round. And at the end of each round, we do an extended breath hold and you can typically, by the time that you're, that you're done practicing the expansion of your lungs for such a long period of time, you can hold your breath for up to a minute, sometimes two minutes or even longer than that. But this basically begins to create a little tingly sensations or vibrations in your body. And essentially what you're doing is tapping into your energetic field and able to move through blockages in order to enhance that state and, and just show you what is possible in your energetic state. And about how long does a breathwork class last? There are different lengths. So you can do a little daily practice that takes only about five minutes. I have a, one that's about a medium length one that's about 20 to 25 minutes. But the standard journey, if you're going to a somatic journey, that's going to be one hour long. And so would you say that you should do this every day or like how often is it recommended to do this? 
For the journey, for the one-hour journey, I'd say probably not more than twice a month, uh, but once a month is completely fine. Uh, outside of that, you want time to integrate what it is that you're learning. Um, for the 25-minute one, you could probably do that about once a week, and the five-minute one, that could be a daily practice. You're mentioning that we have suppressed emotions. What kind of things typically come up for somebody? So again, it, it, everybody is different, but sometimes we suppress anger, sadness, joy, and sometimes we just find ourselves complacent in life. Even complacency is something that we address. And sometimes helping people to move through sexual trauma, not as a counselor, but um, just identifying there, there are certain body motions that people who are dealing with that or who are experiencing it, they subconsciously display that through their body motions. So we're, we're trained in order to be able to using our words and sometimes hands-on touch, but not in the case of sexual trauma, guide people through the experience and say, hey, it's okay to let that go. That energy was never yours to begin with. Send it back, things like that. There there are different cues and uh, adjustments that we have to help with those things. And you also have those like little stickers that they can put on next to them that say, I am okay with touch and I'm not okay with touch. So if someone was to come in and they just didn't want to be touched, then you have those available for them too. Yes, I actually just led a journey last night, an in-person journey for a group of people, and um, I passed out those little cards. It's part of the introduction. I always tell people, hey, I'm going to pass out these little cards. One side says, as you said, yes, it's okay to for hands-on touch. No, the other side says, no, it's not okay. And if you decide in the beginning, yes, but then during the middle of the session, if you decide I'm in a very vulnerable state, I don't really want this anymore, all you have to do is just push my hand off. If I happen to be doing something and you're like, I don't want that anymore, just push my hand off and I don't take it personally. Can you explain breath work and what it is releasing in regards to the chakra system? That can be, it really depends on what you're going through, but it, it can be very helpful with the, the root chakra. Because again, we start off with a grounding meditation. So the, the root chakra helps with your grounding, your sense of stability, your sense of um, feeling sure within yourself. If you have better clarity through breath work, on what it is that you want in the life that you want to live. That helps a lot with the root chakra as well as the sacral chakra. The sacral chakra is in charge of your uh, creativity center. If you're trying to break through some blocks with that, or even in the sense of if there is sexual trauma, the sacral chakra also has to deal with sexuality. So it can help with that. It can also help with confidence, which is embodied by the solar plexus chakra. And at the end, in the second half, I tend to go more into embodiment of the heart. So it really helps a lot with the bottom four and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it can also help with communication. So it goes to the throat. It really, it can help with anything. It's a, it's like a Swiss army knife technique. So this helps a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I'm sure that if you're able to tap into the messages that you're being given or that you're receiving during it, that's also your intuition. So that's your third eye. And just the fact that you're at this uh, type of event or willing to try this means that you have an open crown. So yeah, it's all encompassing. It's also, if you think of the breath and like the breath is your life force energy. And so you're using the breath to push those things that are no longer serving you out of your body. So it's clearing, even if you don't believe in like the whole chakra system or anything like that, or not really familiar with it. It's like clearing out trauma and and things, emotions that are still stuck in the body by using your breath. Yeah. Actually, one of the people that came last night said, he goes, the craziest thing about all of this is that. It, we can do it anywhere. This is free. All we're doing is breathing. Right. It also helps with things like depression, anxiety, sleep, weight loss, and trauma, as we mentioned. Yeah. And this is, again, just one modality of breathwork. There are other styles of breathwork, such as 
Wim Hof breathing, helotropic breathing, which is a lot more intense, but it's very powerful. There's also a yogic style breathing. I'm a 500-hour yoga teacher, and part of that process is we learn pranayama. So there's things like Brahmari breathing, Nadi Shodhana. I could go on forever with it, but there are several different styles of breath work that, that help to just, again, regulate the nervous system, help you to clear out uh, your airways, help you to just to, to calm down. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah, I'm currently doing uh, my second round of Kundalini yoga, which uses a lot of breath work too. Um, it's a, a different modality, but it just uses breath work too. Tell me a little bit about how breath work has changed your life. Um, I think it's important to mention that before I really got into it, I was very skeptical of it. I thought, okay, what am I just going to attend this class or do this modality and I'm just going to be breathing? Okay, cool, whatever. Um, but then when I actually sat down and tried my first ever journey, it, it blew my mind. It, it blew my mind. I've had a lot of experience with psychedelics for psychedelic therapy, whether it's LSD, mushrooms, ayahuasca, things of that nature. And it, my first journey took me back to that state of mind, that state of being of just, wow, this energy moving through me is so intense. It, it's crazy. It took me back to a, a very traumatic point in my life where I was basically, I was paralyzed and I couldn't feel most of my body and my hands got very stiff. But something during my first session told me to just try to crack all of my knuckles because when I was paralyzed, I couldn't really move my fingers. I cracked my knuckles and just felt this sudden, it was like every single joint, one, two, three per finger just cracked and exploded. And all of a sudden, this rush of, of energy went into my hands. And I felt this gigantic feeling of knowing like the power of manifestation in my hands. Um, it, it was a really just powerful moment. And it, it helped me to tap back into that divine essence of, of what it is to be human and to know that I can create my reality. It, it was really interesting. It took me back to that place and reminded me that where I was then versus where I am now is leaps and bounds apart. And I just, I came out of that first journey going, what the hell was that? I, I need to learn how to, I need to learn how to do this. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how breathwork has helped with releasing anger? Yeah. I'm a firm believer that anger is a mask that sadness wears. So it, it starts off by, for me anyways, again, with the, the tightness of the hands during that period of time, that dark period that it took me back to it. I was very angry at my situation, but really I wasn't truly angry. I was just sad that the people in my life were treating me the way that they were. So the, the breathwork journey that I went through, my first one, kind of helped me to take off the mask that I didn't know I was wearing around that sadness and to, to revisit it. it. It helped me to realize that even though years had passed since that time, I still residually held on to things in my body. And yeah, it helped me to to be able to to start that process. So to start a process I had already thought I finished. Yeah, I think that with some of the modalities that we've experienced, once you get into it and you start to uncover some of those masks that you're wearing, it really changes your life in a profound way because we're all like. We have these patterns of belief and we're given them and it's however your caregivers told you to act and how to behave and how to believe and all of this. And then once you start to uncover some of that, then you're like, wait a minute, they're just reacting or acting from their trauma and they didn't really know what they were, how to even be a, a healthy parent or a good provider uh, and they're do just doing the best that they can and then they're passing it on from generations and then once you start to uncover some of that 
then it really starts to peel back the layers. And it's just like one thing after another just starts to fall off. And then it, for me, it was just like really looking at everything and what is it that I believe and what are my values and really tapping into just me and not so much about what everybody else wants me to believe and how everybody else wants me to act, but what's my belief. I just love breathwork as one of the really powerful modalities that I think everybody should experience at least once. And to continue off of what you said there, um, I I found it personally very um, important in my life. And I I don't always do this, but I, I try to bring it back to this. Every single person began as a baby they began as a blank slate and just over time they they encounter different things or as you said things are passed on to them and without the emotional intelligence to know what is and is not correct they just continue those things but it it takes at least one person in each family line to begin to say this isn't correct and and to to start that process of unwinding and unmasking most likely if you're listening to this show that person very well may be you it's important to to have that compassion and grace for other people and know that, again, they, they started off as a baby and they were just given these things that they might maybe didn't necessarily want or need, but it's things that they just did the best that they could with. And you, you can't really be angry at somebody for what they did because it's what they, it's all that they knew in the moment. Yeah. And also to be compassionate with yourself and realizing that you were doing the best that you could. If you have some guilt or shame around the way that maybe you handled the situation or responded to something to just give yourself some love and be like, I did, I actually didn't know any better and I didn't know any different. And you were just doing what you were taught also not beating yourself up over it. And this is just part of the process is acknowledging that this isn't the way that you want to be and then making those changes so that you don't repeat it. Exactly. I would like to, did you have anything else that you would like to add about the breath work? Not that I could think of. I would like to switch gears and let's talk about energy work and Reiki. We both are Reiki masters and we also do other forms of energy work too. And it's not, it's different than Reiki, but it's a different way of doing the energy work. We're going to talk about both of them and talk about what the differences are. If you can go ahead and start us off with where, what Reiki is and where it even came from. Yeah, I guess to, to distinguish the two, energy work is art. Reiki is painting. Reiki is just a style, like you said. Reiki is a Japanese word that means universal energy. Rei meaning universal or God, and ki being the same as chi or prana, it's just energy. With Reiki, you're essentially, you become a Reiki master or a Reiki student, you become attuned to channel this energy through your being. Essentially, you're acting as a conduit or a medium for this universal energy to move through you. It comes from source or God into your crown, through your being, and you channel it through your hands, either onto yourself or a client or a pet, a friend, loved one. And and this energy is used to heal the body. It's another Swiss army knife modality because Reiki is, as it says in in the name, universal. It can be used for just about anything. It's not to be used in lieu of urgent medical care. If you need surgery, Reiki is not going to fix what you need to have removed from you or done with surgery, but it's meant to help with the process or it's meant to help you to to heal different things, to, to help unburden emotional wounds, things of that nature. 
where did Reiki begin? It began in Japan. There, there are several different styles of Reiki, but the most commonly taught and used one is called Usui Reiki, U-S-U-I, and that's originated by Macau Usui. My level one Reiki was in a different style called Jikiden, J-I-K-I-D-E-N, Jikiden Reiki, but then my level two and level three were in Usui. I've also heard other styles. There's shamanic Reiki, Ensophic Reiki, Holy Fire Reiki, Animal Reiki. There, there's tons of different styles, but again, the most common ones are Jikiden and Usui. Yeah, and just to go back and talk about the benefits of Reiki, they can help with all sorts of things like grief, depression, anxiety, and there's even some studies that are being made of how it helps people that are going through cancer and chemotherapy and autoimmune diseases and really just about anything that it can help to relieve the the symptoms of those things. So it's a really powerful modality. I'm, I'm a firm believer that all physical disease begins as mental dis-ease and that all sta- starts as an energetic state because we're, we're always in alignment with whatever emotions we have and however we have our emotions regulated. So if we're in a constantly negative state, we're going to attract more negative things and in this case, we'll attract more dis-ease of the mind. So if you are able to have either yourself or someone else to basically recalibrate your energy through energy work, whether it's Reiki or any other style of, of energy work, it helps you to realign with something more positive, something more light, and it helps you to, to begin a slow process of letting go of that disease of the mind by opening up different doorways, or you can even call them portals, basically, into a better life through, through proper integration of this better energy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what it is that the, the client or the person who is receiving the Reiki, what kind of things are they experiencing as they're on the table. Can you explain some of that process? Yeah, there's no one way to answer that, uh, but there's different things that could be experienced. Typically during a Reiki session, you're laying down on a massage table. You can also have it done sitting up, but typically you're laying down and all you have to do as the recipient is just to relax and breathe. Oftentimes your first time receiving, it's hard to uh, get into it at first. So it might take a couple minutes to relax, but then after that, you get into this very deep, relaxed state. Your mind begins to slow down and your brain operates at typically an alpha and beta brain waves. And during this process, it slows down to theta and sometimes even delta, which is a very slow process of the waves of your brain moving. It feels like you're almost sleeping, but you're going into a very deep meditative state, very similar to hypnosis. And in this process, it allows the mind to unwind because if you have knots in your muscles, you'll go to a massage therapist and they remove the knots through the technique. But how do you remove the knots from the mind? You have to slow down and do some deep breathing, allowing this chi or this key from the Ray key to enter your body and begin to unwind these knots and help you to relax. Yeah. Whenever you're relaxing, does it typically make them tired? I'd say that I don't know if it makes you tired or if it just helps you to rest and relax. I think that most people in the world right now are just burnt out. So we're all tired, but it helps to bring the healing that's needed. And, and sometimes people fall asleep for it. Sometimes you don't. I think that if you fall asleep during a session, it just means that you needed a nap. But it, it just also shows that you're in such a deep, relaxed state that you are comfortable with sleeping. Yeah. And then how long do the effects last? That can really depend on the person. It it can go for the rest of the day. It can go for a week, a month. It really depends on what you choose to do. And if you get up from a Reiki session and immediately go to Burger King and have a Whopper, you're probably going to not experience the effects as long as somebody who goes home and has a nice home cooked meal or has a salad or 
just something that was cooked with love. If you decide that you want to start exercising more and taking care of yourself, you can prolong the effects. But that's again, because you're recalibrating your energy instead of going back to the same nonsense. Yeah, for sure. I always recommend to drink a lot of water afterwards to help the energy to move through a lot faster and to because the purpose of it is to release the things, the energy that is no longer serving you. So um, that water just helps push it through and helps to release it a, lo- a whole lot faster. And the energy of Reiki is also very warming. Just like you were working out, you get sweaty. It's the same kind of thing. You can feel warmer sensations in your body's warming up and burning off some of the water that's in your body. So it's good to replenish that as well. Yeah. I've also had some people, they will say, I actually felt the energy leaving my body or they'll say, I felt like it was like a waterfall over me. I have a lot of people say that they experience water with me. I'm a Pisces, Pisces, Pisces cancer. So I'm like all water if you were to look at the my zodiac signs. And so maybe that's why they experience it. I'm not really for sure. But I always thought that was really interesting that I've heard that from several people. It was like water washing over them. And each time is different. Each person, they're not going to experience the same exact thing every single time. It really just depends on what it is that's needing to be released from the body. And it typically, sometimes you feel things and sometimes you don't. So it just depends on what's going on that day and and what kind of energy is moving through you. How often do you recommend your clients to do Reiki? This is very similar to breath work. It really depends on your availability. If you're not attuned to Reiki, it's really as often as you'd like. I'd say once a week, probably. Uh, Once a week would be the most. I've had clients that come to me once a week. I've had clients that are every other week. I've had clients that are once a month. If you're attuned to Reiki, whether level one, level two, or level three, just like with the breath work, you, you can have your own daily practice with Reiki where you give yourself Reiki for five minutes, 10 minutes, however long you'd like. If you're feeling if you have an upset stomach, you can do Reiki on your stomach. If you're a level two practitioner, you can draw symbols on your hands and amplify the power. If you know somebody who is in a different state or different place, you can send them long distance Reiki If once you've been level two attuned. You can do it really as often as you want or for whoever you'd like as often as they want. You mentioned Reiki symbols. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Typically, there are three levels of Reiki mastery or Reiki attunement. There are people now saying that there's more than that. I haven't really done much research into it outside of just hearing about it. But level one makes you a practitioner. Level two makes you an intermediate practitioner. Level three makes you an advanced practitioner. Again, I've heard that there's now four or five, and I think even up to nine, they talk about grandmasters, but that, that's not, I can't speak on that uh, more than just that. But with level one, you learn how to channel Reiki through your being, which teaches you basically everything that you need to know. Level two and level three are designed if you want to take it further and deepen your own practice to learn more about it and gain more wisdom and things like that. Level two is where you start to receive power symbols. You receive three power symbols. They're sacred words, so I'm not going to say them. But the, there's one that basically is a an amplifier. It's a power symbol. The second one is for emotional stability and balancing. And the third one is for long distance. The The first one, the power symbol, helps to amplify. It's like taking the, the drip from the faucet and turning it onto a, into a steady stream where the water's coming out full force. Uh, the second symbol helps to regulate emotional instabilities or blockages. 
And level three, again, helps you to do a long distance. I had a client that lived in a different state and that's how I was able to do it for them. I've had clients from other countries also, and we connect over Zoom, they lay down on their bed on the other side of the computer and they're able to still feel the effects even though I'm not physically there in person. So with that being said also, this is a hands-on or hands-off modality. You don't necessarily need hands-on in order to experience this. And then with level three, Reiki Mastery, you receive two other symbols. One of them is another amplification of power. So it's like taking that steady stream of water and turning it into a fire hose. And then the other one is also, it's really only used in attuning other people. So when you're teaching class, that's what the other symbol is used for. Yeah. And I also want to mention too, that as a practitioner, you are also, you get an attunement at each level that you're doing. And, and then there's supposed to be a time period between, is it six months that you're supposed to do between each one? I know I was told that it had to be six months between level one, two, one and two and three. Um, and the reason why is because as you get attuned, your body you're releasing things that are no longer serving you. And so then you will become aware of how you are reacting from trauma or from like a lower vibrational state and you'll just become aware of it. And then it's up to you to make those changes because you can stay the same or you can, or can go on and and actually make those changes, but you're made very well aware of what those changes are. And so if you're following the the path and you are letting those people go and those habits go and those things go that are no longer serving you then by the time that you get to master level reiki you're a completely different person and you're the same person but you just don't you don't act the same you're not the same you're not being the same everything is different it's a mature it's a maturation process for sure and as far as the time in between when i first i learned level one in 2010 level two in 2015 and i became a reiki master in 2019 and honestly nobody ever told me anything about timing in between but i would say that it's definitely a good idea to to pace it because you don't want to bite off more than you can chew because as you mentioned, there is definitely an acceleration of spiritual growth in that process. It's like a recalibration. Basically, it's if your energetic state was a, a TV, it's like going from black and white TV into level one being color TV and then level one to level two being your, your standard color TV from the 90s and turn of the century into HD. And then going to become a Reiki master is like going from HD to, to 4K. It's, you realize, oh, we thought that was really cool until we realized how much better it could get. Yeah. As you're doing Reiki, some people will experience that they are able to connect with their spiritual team, spirit guides, God, source, universe a lot better because we're clearing out those channels to help you to connect more. And then also clearing out the other channels to help you to trust more. And the client also experiences all of those things. And then as a practitioner, you're also experiencing that And for me personally, after I did my Reiki, I experienced what felt like I was going crazy because whenever I was younger, I used to experience seeing spirits and people who had passed on. And then I opened that channel and then I started to experience like spirits coming to me while I was sleeping and while I was just going about my day and things like that. And so I had to talk to somebody who had already been through this and had it was she was a medium and I was like how do I turn this thing off you know that and that's just something that happened to me and I thought that I was going crazy but luckily I had that support system to let me know that 
it's just, it's okay. And it's nothing to be afraid of. And, and you have total control over that. It's definitely important as you begin a healing journey, whether it's uh, as a recipient or as an aspiring practitioner to have a sort of guide or some sort of mentor on the path. I mean, that for me, that was, you've met her, my, my, t- my teacher and guide with the Modern Mystery School, Ula. Uh, she's been a saving grace. And I could talk about the Modern Mystery School for a long time. It's, it's, we're, that'll take us too far off this topic. But um, it's very, very good to have somebody who has been doing this for a long time or who has been in this realm to be able to tell you, you're actually not crazy. These are just things that mainstream society is not very welcoming of. So it's good to know that these things are, are actually happening or maybe some things are, are just in your head. It's, it's good to have somebody to say, okay, no, this is, yes, this is, no, and to just guide you and help you stay on the track instead of veering off too far to one side or the other. It's very easy when you have open crown to become too ungrounded or to become too attached to the ground. So it's good to stay in the middle, to, to stay balanced. For sure. So I know that you've experienced a lot of different healing modalities. What would you consider to be your favorite? Huh. So I think my favorite one to receive and also to give is probably going to be something that we do with the Modern Mystery School called a life activation. The life activation is a sacred process that originates about 3,000 years ago and is taught and passed down through the lineage of King Solomon with the Modern Mystery School. It's basically a DNA activation. It helps you to tap into your divine blueprint. Now, we have we have 24 strands of DNA, and most of them are just turned off in between the process of incarnation and our development. This is why oftentimes we have a lot of people who are, have psychic abilities as children, but then they become dim as you get into adolescence and into adulthood. So most people typically just have two of their little, we call them codons activated. And with the process of life activation, we're able to turn on permanently 22 out of 24 of them. There is another service that's offered by the Mystery School um, to activate the last two. But as far as the life activation, it really just helps you to activate your life's blueprint and it begins to a, a process. There's the session, which takes about an hour to an hour and a half, but really everything begins once you get up from the chair at the end. So it's a process that begins again with, it's a massive recalibration of your energetic body. We go into just about every single system. I I like to refer to it as being like an energetic Etch-a-Sketch. We have all the stuff that's drawn and written on the Etch-a-Sketch, but the life activation takes it and shakes it like and gives you that blank slate again to begin brand new. We, we go through elemental systems, magnetic systems, the chakra systems, all sorts of different rebalancing of, of different things. And then it gets into the actual life activation itself, where I have a wand that was handed down to me by my teacher. Uh, basically, this wand helps me. It, it is the medium where energy channels through my hand and in through the wand into uh, the back of your spine, basically, and activates the DNA, turning on your blueprint and accelerating your spiritual growth. And then the, the third and final process is a reading of the DNA, where basically I'm flashed 12 different images that I pass along to you from practitioner to recipient. And these are meant to be little goalposts or reminders so that as the integration process happens, you have these reminders like, but we don't always remember every single thing that happens to us, but say two, three months down the road, you see something and you're like, holy crap, that's the thing that Steve told me about. You can go back to your notes and be like, wow, okay, this is still working. It's a reminder that the process is 
it's for the rest of your life. Now, unlike Reiki, where you can have it done once or twice per month or however many times per week you, you'd like it done, you only ever need one, one life activation. You can have multiple done, but you only ever need one. The effects will last the rest of your life. And anything that has permanent results, I'm definitely a fan of. As you mentioned, uh, you only have to do the life activation one time, but I've actually done it twice uh, since we've been together. We've been together a little over two years now, and we are each other's guinea pigs. Whenever I learn something, then I do it on him. And anytime he learns something, then I'm his guinea pig. And so we, we really just have a lot of fun with it. And it also can report back, be like, oh, you can do this differently or do that differently. And, and it really helps both of us, not just learning, but actually being able to experience it too. Another one that was really powerful was cord cutting. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Emotional cords are cords that connect us from our crown chakra up into the collective consciousness. These are cords that connect us to people that we've interacted with in our life. It could be family, friends, coworkers, former lovers, children, anyone in your bloodline, things of that nature. Now, these cords have a health of their own. They could be toxic cords. They could be healthy cords. With the cord cutting, it's it's very similar to my reference earlier to the Etch-A-Sketch. It takes your emotional connections and just clears them all out, giving you a carte blanche to start from square one. Now, with that cord cutting, you cannot cut cords to blood ties. So you can't completely sever your connection to your mother or your father or your children or people like that. But it does give you the ability to clear away debris of an unhealthy connection with them and begin from brand from brand new again, square one. It can energetically distance you from past lovers and things of that nature, people who are not in your bloodline. So it, it can, it does have potential to cut them out of your life completely. Now, just like with anything, it's still up to you. If you decide that you want to cut somebody out of your life and then you go back to them the next day say an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend was not for you and you say hey i'm going to cut this person out but then you still answer their texts and stuff that's you choosing to reestablish a cord with them but the cord cutting really helps it's a very deep healing and the process that i was handed down with mystery school is a very sacred process to really clear things out realign you with what it is that you want and even grant you the ability to ask your spiritual team and God for a wish, like basically what is it that you want? What, what is it you want to create with your life with this new slate? Yeah. And it's another one that is very powerful and just the changes that you're able to experience once that cord, that energetic cord is cut. I'd also like to know what are some of the life lessons that you feel are, are important for other people to know about that you've experienced yourself? Put me on the spot. <laughs> Say it's important to not hold grudges is a very hard one that I've had to learn and still am learning. So what would you say is the way for that you've been able to let go of some of the grudges? That's really what I mentioned earlier about uh, everyone being a baby, everyone being an infant. They, they all started with a clean slate. It's just they were given things and they were taught that those things were okay. And they continued to do those things until they either do or don't learn that it's not okay. So really learning that, really learning about emotional cords and learning how we're all connected and knowing that if you interact with somebody who's got toxic cords, they're only going to be able to create more toxic cords. So understanding that I can stay firm in my own power and know my own worth and know that 
if somebody's telling me that I'm not worthy, it, it's really just a reflection of their own current state. So by protecting my own energy through protection rituals or through just self-knowledge, knowing who I am, I can separate what they say from what I know of myself. And if I know who I am, I have no reason to hold on to the words of somebody else. Yeah, that's a, a really very important life lesson. I also like to look at soul contracts to let go of some resentment or anything like that, because if you know anything about soul contracts, then you, before you came into this life, you agreed to experience certain things and your soul family, the people that you were going to experience life with, they volunteered to help you to experience certain things. And so they volunteered to hurt you or betray you or make you feel like you're less than so that you can learn to not depend so much on what other people think or feel about you. And so that's another way that I really find helps me to detach somewhat from the human experience and look at it from like a soul perspective. And what is it that my soul was trying to learn during that time? And a lot of times it's just really being able to love and honor and care for yourself. And those people are, are put into your life to teach you that it doesn't necessarily matter what other people think or feel about you. If you're able to love and honor yourself and of course, if you're doing things like being a, a good person, I'm not saying that <laughs> you can just go on and do whatever you want to and, and be mean to and hateful to people. And then that's okay, because you love yourself. I'm just saying that if you really love yourself, and you're able to look at all your flaws and everything and accept those, then it doesn't matter whenever somebody else points those out to you because you're like, I'm okay with them now, even though I know that other people aren't. And it just brings on a whole nother level of acceptance. There's definitely a difference between toxic self-love and embodiment of living in the light. For sure. Now, were you going to, you were going to mention another one, I think? Yeah. So the lesson, it came to me in a dream several years ago, and it was the same shit will happen until you choose to do things differently, which basically in, in nicer terms is that cycles will repeat until you shift yourself out of them. So it's very important to, I guess, the, the nugget of wisdom from it is don't be a victim. Yes, there are victims in the world, but do you want to be just known as a victim? I mean, it's very common in today's society for us to wear our victimhood and wear our trauma as a badge of honor. But really, you don't want, it's like saying, hey, I had this gigantic scar on me. Hey, look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it. You want to be able to, to move through the things and, and let them go. You don't want to hold on to them for a long time. Basically, not holding on to victimhood and not allowing the same things to repeat by embodying the mindset of a victim, because that just brings you down instead of letting you uh, come to the top. I, I like to say in, in my yoga classes that we are like fishing bobs on top of a lake and traumatic experiences, stresses, things of that nature pull us down underwater and keep us there until one day when we decide to let go of that weight and then boom, shoot back up to the top. We don't realize what it is we're holding on to until we let go of it. So if you hold on to that victimhood, you'll never be able to really experience the life of your dreams or true joy if you're just constantly living in the past. And when you live in the past and constantly are revisiting these things mentally, 
your mind is manifesting those things to continue to repeat and to continue to come to the surface. So you're going to experience the same cycles over and over again with different characters or even the same characters if you don't cut the wrong people out. You're going to continue to experience these cycles over and over again until you choose to walk into the light and live an embodied existence of that true potential that you have. So the things will continue until you decide not to. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think there's also a flip side to that where people don't acknowledge that they were a victim. So they've not really felt any of the feelings of that and swept it under the rug. And even if you're not acting as a victim or you're not like out outwardly showing that victim not letting go of those emotions are in your energy field. And so you're going to attract the same kind of situations, even if you're not acting like a victim and being like, oh, poor me kind of thing. So it's just important to really take your power back from the people who did you wrong or did things to you that you didn't deserve and not let them have that power over you anymore and not letting them, not using them as an excuse for, you not doing what you are actually wanting to do. What are some life lessons that you're currently learning? I think I'm currently receiving just a a big heart healing, going over a lot of wounds of the past. And uh, I've been trying to really trace things back, current triggers to when they began, just going through my own timeline and seeing when certain things began so that I can tell that person, that six-year-old, that 13-year-old, that 22-year-old, that it's okay. You did the best you could in that moment, as we discussed earlier. And it's okay. You don't have to feel that way. You don't have to be trapped in that mindset anymore. It's when bad things happen to you at certain ages you and you get stuck in that mindset, it's like the show Arrested Development. That's the best phrase for it, Arrested Development. Your, your development gets halted because you get stuck through whether it's numbing through substances or vices of some sort, it's, you you get stuck. So I'm going back to those times that I felt like the blockages truly began when the cycles began and forgiving them, forgiving myself, forgiving the other people, and just allowing myself to let go of those things so that the tape measure, the metaphoric tape measure can get retracted all the way and I can begin brand new. So I've been really just doing a lot of self-inquiry into when certain things began, like feelings of betrayal, feelings of losing my ability to trust others and to trust community and to make new friends the way that I used to. Because a lot of us tend to get jaded as we get older and to become stuck in our ways. But I'm a firm believer there's a book by my one of my favorite teachers in the mystery school called You Are Not Perfect the Way You Are. So you are not perfect the way you are. It's saying that we are all imperfect beings, but we find perfection in growth. So the people who get stuck in their ways are the ones who don't want to grow anymore. They just like the way that they are. They like to do the same exact thing every single day ad nauseum until the day that they die. And that to me is a living hell to be stuck in Groundhog Day forever, always doing the same thing with no variety, no nothing new, no new experiences, no new people. So in order to prevent that from becoming the case for me personally, it's, it's that healing of the heart wounds to make it so that I'm willing to go out and continue to grow and continue to expand because how can I be a healer if I don't go out and find the people that need healing? Yeah. And then it always starts with yourself too. Like you have to heal yourself in order to help heal other people. 
And I find that typically what happens is whatever it is that you had to experience and whenever you were younger and whatever it is that you're trying to heal, that's what you're also teaching other people how to heal too. And so if you are on your healing journey right now and you feel like, oh, this is never going in, it is one of the things that things are, you're never going to be completely healed. So if that's an expectation that you have, you can just go ahead and set that down because that doesn't happen. You're each level that you go to each time that you go to do something different, then you're going to experience a different level of healing that you need. That's why they call it a journey. And in this discussion, I'm actually understanding another lesson that has been presented to me throughout my whole life is that I've, I went to high school in a town in Pennsylvania that was very predominantly run by the Ku Klux Klan. And my little brother is biracial. So outside of the fact that knowing that the KKK is not a good organization, it hit home for me because again, he's biracial. So I've always been this protector of the marginalized because my brother was one of, say, seven or eight black people in the entire town. And throughout my life, I've always had friends who were BIPOC. I've been encountering people who are transgender, non-binary, gay, lesbian, different races and stuff, and connecting more with them because I feel a sort of connection to them to want to just let them know that they are accepted because all the all of the people in the town that I went to, not all of them, but a lot of people I went to high school with were very prejudiced. And it's a big pet peeve of mine to encounter those people. So I think that's why in my life, I've encountered a lot of people of those orientations, creeds, and things of that, that nature. So that, that just came to me in the last few minutes there. So we can change the answer to my last question. One of them is just understanding why certain things seem to be like constant themes in my life it's it's not that i have a problem with anything like that it's just it's very interesting to have that new realization yeah i think it's really interesting once you start to become aware and, and then you can connect the dots and you you can see where your life purpose is and what has happened in your life and where it is what lights you up what are you interested in and what really makes you feel good and helps you to have a a roadmap of what where you're supposed to go with things it's just look back what have you what does the past say what you're supposed to be doing so it's also even always been easier for me to make friends with women more than men mm -hmm. so it's again another marginalized group yeah and also to go back to the other lesson that you're talking about with just like letting go of the hurt and the betrayal that you experience from other people. I think that is a huge one for a lot of people, because if you have a really traumatic relationship with somebody, and then from that point forward, you're like, oh, I'm not going to have another boyfriend or girlfriend ever again. Like you're literally cutting yourself off from experiencing love. And usually when that happens, you're cutting it off, not just in the romantic love, but in friendship love. And so then you don't trust other people. And it's just like a huge, it fall, it goes into every single area of your life. Whenever you have this wall up to love and to accepting and receiving that. So if you know, just look at what ways are you preventing yourself from experiencing full love and joy and how is your receiving and how is it that you're cutting other people off and you're actually cutting yourself off because you could be experiencing crazy wild 
love. And that was my mindset about eight months before you and I met. I got out of a very painful relationship and I said to my friend Julia, I'm never going to, I'm just, I'm done with dating. Fuck this. I'm, I'm done. And she said to me, don't let this build walls around you. And I took what she said to heart. And then I took a class on Kabbalah that, as we've discussed, I think personally helped me to, man to manifest you. But yeah, it was a, a big process of understanding the subconscious mind and allowing those walls to come down before they got built. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Thank you for having me on your show. I love you. <laughs> and I thank to all of you for listening. Yeah. All right. I think that we will wrap it up for the, for today. If you have any questions, you can join the group Mystic Soul Unveiled. And also, Steve, talk about your services and what it is that you offer and where people can find you. Sure. If you're local to the Southern Illinois area, I can do pretty much everything that we talked about here. I can offer life activations. I also offer sacred geometry healings, which are just two different kinds. There's one that uses crystals to help with a lot of different things, physical, emotional, mental imbalances, time management, empowerment, purity of mind, things of that nature. There's another one that I for simple terms call it a potato healing, but it's, this, it's another sacred geometry healing that utilizes a potato and uh, several different sacred crystals uh, in order to help you to set a game plan or an action plan for your life. Uh, again, there's the cord cuttings and life activations, Reiki, uh, and Reiki and breathwork can be done virtually. So if you're not in the area, I can do that virtually. I also offer meditation and occasionally you'll find me teaching a yoga class here and there. There's probably some other things that I'm just forgetting right now. I, I think I mentioned breathwork. Breathwork can be done virtually or uh, in person. And you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram uh, under Namaste Nomad. I believe on Instagram it's Namaste Nomad 1111, but uh, we'll put it in the show notes. I'm blanking right now on my handle. And the name is subject to change in the near future. But as of right now, it's Namaste Nomad. And uh, if we update it, you can still search Namaste Nomad and find me. Yeah. I don't know if you guys heard me, but I chuckled whenever he was talking about the potato healing because we went to... This is like the first month of us being together. We, yeah, we got... yeah, he was like, oh, I want to do this potato healing on you. And we didn't have any potatoes. Or I didn't have any potatoes at the house. He didn't. He wasn't with... He didn't live with me at the time. But we go to the grocery store and... Um... We're walking into the grocery store, holding hands, just smile, beaming smiles across our face. We pick up one potato and holding hands, walk to the cash register with just one potato. And the person <laughs> looks at us like, that's it? One potato between the two of you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We just got some crazy looks out of that one. So it was a, a fun story that we will always remember. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah. All right. So like I mentioned, if you have any questions, anything further that you'd like to know, feel free to message either one of us or post it in the, the group Mystics All Unveiled. And I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you know anybody that would like to learn about breathwork, Reiki, any of the things that we talked about, I would really appreciate if you could share this episode. And yeah, I think that's it. Namaste, Jema, I hope. Have a good day. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. It really helps me a lot if you can subscribe, rate, or review the show. Don't forget to join me in my free Facebook group, Mystic Soul Unveiled, where I will go live every Thursday to answer your questions about the episode, provide additional support, journal prompts, and more. May your week be filled with pleasure and may you see the mystical side of all things.